A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Okay, uh, this is Paul Hawksby. And I'm Luke Moore. And this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We had some fine guests in, including Anthony Joshua's next opponent. Jarrell Miller was making a welcome return. We saw him last year, but of course he's fighting our man now, so uh, it was a very different conversation. But he was on good form. A very likeable guy, isn't he? The big baby. One yeah. of the biggest units I've ever seen. Certainly the largest man I think I've ever interviewed. Really? Uh, and very comfortable in his own skin. It was, it was an interesting Yeah, one. he's a nice guy, so hopefully you enjoy that. Richard Moore came in. He's the author of a book called Slaying the Badger about the 1986 Tour de France. And that was the focus of the book club today. A fascinating read. More than a cycling book, as yeah. uh, hopefully uh, you'll discover. Uh, we had a bit of a chat about various things involving uh, Liam Gallagher, Croatian football and hair transplants. <laughs> and uh, usual common or garden yeah. subjects, really. And some of the big sporting stories of the day. So here it all is. Last week, Luke, when you were first with me on the first day, I, I mentioned I'd seen, uh, as part of the FA Cup coverage, uh, a Toblerone in the Bristol yes, City you did. club shop. And I thought, uh, OK, why haven't my club got their own uh, club Toblerone? Then we, we found it was quite scattergun. The clubs did have them. Celtic had their own. Uh, one or two other Kilmarnock. clubs. Kilmarnock. had their own in-store, uh, in-house uh, club Toblerone. Weymouth FC. Yeah. They were doing a limited edition one. So um, imagine my surprise when there was an odd-shaped package in the post today from the good people at Imagination Store. It says, Paul, please accept this with our compliments. It's from Greg. Greg, thank you, because it is... It is the Hawksby Toblerone. That is unreal. What a beauty. It's the giant, the sort of one that's kosh size. That I'm surprised they let you take uh, on an aeroplane. Um, so uh, there it is. I'm just getting a picture there for Luke. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. You'll just photograph it out. It's the, the big one you only find at the airport. They obviously generally. didn't hear the bit about where you said you don't like Toblerone very well, much. Well, look, you know. I, it's to can the you, point give the, you can give that to a member of your family for Christmas. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I may have just blown that. I'm th- <laughs> I, I may not actually open it. I may just keep it, just kind of keep it somewhere as a, out of the sun, obviously. What, but when they auction your estate in the years to come? <laughs> it could be. It's a knackered old Toblerone. 30-year-old Toblerone, if I last that I mean, long, I, working with Andy. I was on that show as well, and I've not got one. Oh, I do apologise. I, I mean, know it just uh, maybe the, the the Luke Moore Toblerone may follow. I don't know, but um, it's quite possible. But thank you very much, uh, Greg. I mean, that's an incredible and, and piece indeed, of Toblerone. Uh, piece of merchandise. That it is lovely. And is that a first for you? Is it the first time you've had some sort of confectionery? Oh, yeah, well, I, I, let me think. I think it is. I can't think of anybody's giving me personalised chocolate on, on a <laughs> national radio sports station, but it does Great seem stuff. unlikely. Uh, look out for an interesting court case that's just around the corner potentially between uh, Liam Gallagher and Hadjuk Split. Well, I didn't think you, I didn't think you were going that way with yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, apparently they've got a problem. Um, the club with uh, the uh, the pretty green brand, of course, which right, is yeah. something that he's worked up over the years. 
Um, and it's a, a logo on one of the tops he's produced. And they think it looks like their club badge. So uh, they're kicking off, uh, apparently. So um, I don't know what's going to be going on after that. But do look out. Interesting court case between Ajax Split. Yeah. <laughs> Croatian football versus Liam Gallagher. I mean, it's very hard to imagine Liam Gallagher even acknowledging that court <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that summons, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... But- I don't. I mean, I've not seen the badge. It's on a top that costs forty quid, and uh, Adric Split have seen the. Uh, they have seen the resemblance. Apparently, they're mm. one of their fans, uh, Ivan Bilic. I think they've just made that up. They just thought, come up. You got a Croatian name? Yeah, just <laughs> Ivan. Oh, Bilic, didn't it? Wasn't he? Yeah, we'll have that one. Yeah. Ivan Bilic has said they look amazing. Right. So okay, t- make of that what you will. Um, uh, what else we got for you this afternoon? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if this is the case or not. Um, Apparently, uh, Hampshire's uh, ground has now got a place that does a hair transplant. You've got a hair transplant clinic in house at the the Rose Bowl. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, that's right. Uh, That's what they've been saying down at the Aegeus Bowl. Uh, there is a clinic for the follically challenged. I mean, in I was house. under the impression that's quite a lengthy procedure. I mean, you, you, why, why are you going to go to the Rose Bowl to watch cricket? Yeah, you are going to. Well, miss... if it's like a, if it's a particularly long county championship game, you could yeah. come out with a full head. It's rained off or whatever. Yeah, it's rained off. You get yourself a new barnet. Did you know it's at the weekend? By the way, David Silver's new look. Um, I, I, it doesn't. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Well, he's because um, he he had longish hair. Yeah, he and shaved then it off, he shaved yeah. it off. Yeah, and I thought he'd just gone for it. it was a bit of a fashion thing, but we learn apparently from experts in this field that that's often done for people who've had a hair transplant. And, and the way the sun put it was, David Silver has done a Rooney, right? Uh, they've said, and he has gone through an amazing two-year transformation, which he showed off uh, playing in the Carabao Cup final the other day. Experts have looked at. It, they said he's gone through the same weaving pr- procedure as Wayne Rooney. And uh, donors' hairs are taken immediately from the back and side of the scalp, replanted in the balding areas. And um, sometimes they do actually shave their head within that process. So it grows back stronger. A lot of male hair transplant patients do that. I'll tell you something now. And I always say this when people talk about hair transplants Mm. on here. If If you're thinking about getting it done, find out where Mickey Gray went. Yeah, it's a good job. Oh, my goodness. It's me. A tremendous I had no job, idea it had even been done for about a year and a half until he mentioned it. Really? And and I think it does depend on where you go because compared to Mickey's, Wayne Rooney's looks awful compared yeah. to Mickey's. Mickey's is brilliant. Wait, do, you, do you think uh, maybe Mickey had his done at the Aegeus Bowl? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe he did. Maybe he went down there. Watched it's a not very cricket. local for him, but it's entirely possible. Yeah. I, guess. I didn't know that was what David Silver was doing either. And the only, other, the only other sort of, the real pioneer for this among sportsmen was, of course, the great Jimmy White, wasn't it? Jimmy White had it right. done very early on, the yeah. whirlwind, and it, I can't really remember what Those it early like. days, they used to, you kind of see the little holes in the head, wasn't it? Like That's right. Had, yeah. but I think you can see that with Rooney's. Yeah. I, I, think, I think for a man of his means, a man of his uh, Do you think he, he did, it, did, it on the, did it on the cheap? I think Bloke maybe, in the pub. I don't know if it's cheap. I think it's just that he thinks, he, he sort of bottled it a little bit. I do want to do it, but I'm a bit unsure, so I'm just going to try oh. it out. I mean, it's not something you'll ever have to worry about, Paul. Well, no, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got many things wrong with me, but at the moment, surprisingly, a full head of hair, yeah. yeah. Um, good news for TalkSport listeners. They may not be aware of this even. If they watch ITV4, they would have seen that, a game of Spanish football on. Um, have you seen that ITV4 have picked up? I have seen this, yeah. Um, Spanish football games, and they, right. they've got La Liga. I know. They've got uh, La Liga, and they've got uh, El Clasico this weekend. So, well, it's a great time for, the, time for them to do it. I know there's yeah, been problems yeah, yeah. with 11 sports and all the rest of it. And 
So uh, I think 11 Sports are still showing the games where ITV have got them as well. So I could look, I could be wrong, but you can watch them on ITV4. So uh, terrestrial coverage of uh, El Clasico and, this weekend. And I have to say, it's been a, it's long been a sort of baffling situation for me because there's so many TV channels. That, I mean, clearly, by you go to put your TV on at home, and ITV for, of their own have got about 50 of them. Why on earth wouldn't they go and pick up these rights? Because people, especially things like um, the classic. I mean, everyone's yeah. interested in that, aren't they? Yeah. I understand why you wouldn't want to show sort of, you know, Alaves versus Ibar or whatever, but La, La Liga, the Classico, is clearly a huge draw for people, so it makes sense. Yeah, I think they'd, if they stick with the big guns, I think they had Real Madrid Levante, and that was quite a decent game. It was quite lively, old Casemiro's normal wisdom impression. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so there we are. That's uh, Classico this week on ITV. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Yeah, time for the book club. It's normally me and Andy. Luke Moore comes in as our guest, but of course he's co-hosting with me today. And we're chatting uh, about a book called Slaying the Badger by uh, Richard Moore. Still available, uh, a yellow jersey uh, cycling. It's a fascinating book, as you're probably aware. I'm no uh, cycling aficionado. Um, but I got into the book immediately and sort of devoured it over the last few days because it's so much more than a cycling book. I'm very pleased to say that Richard Moore has joined us, the author. Hey, Richard, good to see you. And you, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, as I say, Luke recommended this as we wanted to move out and mm. kind of stray away from football. Yeah. And it, it's kind of worth setting up the kind of core, the two main protagonists and the and the kind of era and what we're talking about in the book, where the story is told. Well, the 1980s, for a lot of us, a golden era. It's when cycling, the Tour de France, began to be broadcast on Channel 4 in the UK. So... It really introduced a, a new audience to the sport. And the 86 Tour de France was the first one broadcast daily. So it's the first one I watched from beginning to end as a as a 13-year-old kid. And Bernardino was this sort of rogue, you know, the, the handsome Frenchman who you weren't supposed to like, really. He was a bit of a villain. Mm. Uh, Le Monde was this blue-eyed, blonde-haired American. Who She's was very, Greg Le Monde, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, he was yeah. very appealing, very open, very kind of vulnerable. Um, and... They were they were in the same team and cycling as a lot of people will know now is a complex sport where you've got it's an individual sport but it's also a team sport so those two were the strongest in the race they were in the same team and that obviously created a huge problem um, because they were so much stronger than anybody else that it became a battle between them and it was hmm. uh, you know over three weeks a very complex uh, battle not least because Eno wasn't straight about his intentions he said no. he was going to help them on. And it was pretty clear to everybody watching, but particularly Greg Lamont, that he wasn't helping him. And what, I was going to say, what had happened the year before is key, because in uh, in 1985, uh, Lamont had effectively ridden, as, as a lot of domestics do, had ridden effectively for his man. He had ridden for Bernardino to win the tour. And Eno said at the end, next year, basically, I'll be doing this for you. It's all about uh, you next year. Yes, yeah, it's, it's complicated again, because that year... You know, had a bad crash. You know, was the strongest in 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 that year's race, but he had a terrible crash, and fell ill, and then had to be sort of nursed to the to the finish almost by Le Monde, and Le Monde had to sacrifice his own chances, but he did so on the basis of this understanding, this agreement that um, that the following year Eno you know, would return the favour. But as with all these sorts of agreements, and we see this in sport and politics in, in any walk of life. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a binding contract. And it's, it, echoes mm. of the Chris Froome, Bradley Wigan situation, right? I and mean, people, Actually, who, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do write about <laughs> yeah, that. In the you, yeah, yeah, there yeah. is that. It's that yeah. kind of. It's a deal. It's yeah. a deal they effectively and make. 
Part of the reason um, I wanted to do this book and for, for Rich to come in is because the opening scene you set in this book is of Greg LeMond, who's eaten a mm. what he thinks is a a, 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 a mouldy peach. peach, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. and has got all sorts of upset tummy troubles because of that. And you start from memory by him, Greg LeMond, running into the team motorhome trying mm. to find a toilet, and he can't find a toilet because the toilet's been ripped out. And what's there in the place is 40,000 or so postcards with Bernard Inno's face on them. Great improvisational mm. skills. He rips yeah. out a hole in the... Uh, among the postcards and does his business. Yeah, it's not really suitable for a daytime <laughs> radio show that mm. that opening sequence. But, yeah. but it's a fantastic way of setting the scene. It because, does, yeah, yeah. Because this rivalry is something. I got the impression that Greg Lemond was a really lovely chap, and Bernard Inno, who I think you say in the book. If you if you don't say it in the book, then I've certainly read it elsewhere. Bernard Inno is the kind of guy who would see amateur cyclists out wearing the yellow jersey that they'd bought from a shop and he would almost literally wrestle them to the ground, rip it off them saying, you haven't earned that, stop wearing it. That's how intense Bernard Inno was. Um, And it's this great clash of personalities as well as cyclists, isn't it? And supposed teammates as well. Yeah, totally different personalities and and ways of being. I mean, Inno is very one-dimensional, really. Not... Not a not a great thinker. That's not meant as an insult, but not very reflective. You know, very in the moment. And he mm. would he would. That's what made him such a great rider as well. He was able to seize initiative and be on the front foot. Lamond was too much of a thinker, and and that was another big problem for him because Eno, his teammate, kept seizing the initiative, leaving Lamond on the back foot. And when you're in a cycling team and you've got a teammate up the road, you can't chase him. So. Lamond, although he was stronger, was just never able to take that first very important step. Yeah. And and it was in that sense the race reflected their personalities. Lamond was was calculating, he was cautious, he was conservative, um, and he was always kind of overthinking things. Eno wasn't thinking at all. Eno mm. was just acting. Um, it, it gives us some real insight into what the French feel about the tour, and, and it's you know yeah. eighty five. Eno was the last Frenchman to win it, which is quite shocking. At this stage, a non European had never won it. An American, it's hard to believe now in light of what went on. American had never won the tour in by at nine, by nineteen eighty six. So it, it's a completely different time for cycling. And the other thing I found interesting is just it was a kind of end of an era in terms of cycling, wasn't it? Things changed mm. uh, after that, and these days you talk about. Uh, the riders kind of having to guess how far uh, people are be behind them or in front of them or getting a bit of guidance from the team car. But of course, now it's all, it's different. And some people say the sport is poorer for that because they all have radios on. They oh, know yeah. where everybody is all the time. Absolutely. There are things that happen in that race that just couldn't happen now. You mm. know, there were there was a day in the, in the Pyrenees when, uh, you know, Eno slipped away with, with Pedro Delgado, one of the Spanish riders, and Le Mans didn't know he was away. I, I mean, that's inconceivable mm. now. They would... They have so much information uh, on their handlebars, in their ears, through their sports directors. You could argue too much information. There's very little now left to instinct. Um, and, and you wonder how somebody like Bernardino would get on in, in this era because he did race on instinct and he had such a, he, he was able to read the race usually so well, not always, but mm. um, he was certainly somebody who um you know went on feel and 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 he was a fighter you know he was he was about taking on opponents an interesting thing lamont said to me was that he didn't really pay much attention to his opponents it was all about himself mm. his focus was inward whereas Eno was was taking people on, and, and he was a real scrapper. He was, I mean, psychologically, I think Jose would uh, would love him. Uh, they should meet up, I think. Jose and Eno would get on very well with in the mind game stage. Sure. Uh, let's hear a clip. Uh, there's a, an excellent documentary, a 30 for 30 made called Slaying the Badger as well, of Richard's book. And this little section was the bit that Richard was just talking about when Eno made the breakaway 
with another rider, uh, Delgado, and it disappeared and Greg LeMond didn't know. This is how it all unfolded in uh, Greg LeMond's words. And I'm like, I'm done. If I don't break away here, and I attacked. And an attack by LeMond. Luchador came with me and I, I closed. I probably closed about two minutes, minute and a half, two minutes on Eno. Bernard Eno is back in the yellow jersey of leadership. In the speech of Poe now for Greg Lamont. But look at the gap. Four minutes, 36 seconds down. What would be like your best friend? His personality changes and he becomes deceptive and dishonest and um, manipulative. The crowd salute a most marvelous athlete. Yeah, the great Phil Liggett there as well in the clip. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. We've been discussing the book. It's about the 1986 uh, Tour de France. Uh, what came down to a battle of two uh, teammates, uh, Greg LeMond and Bernardino. Bernardino, the last Frenchman to win the Tour. And in light of everything that happened afterwards, you make a good point in the break there, Richard. Uh, Greg LeMond, the last American to win the Tour. The last and only American yeah. to win the Tour, no, yeah. according to the records. Uh, of, course, of course, of what happened subsequently with Lance Armstrong. It's worth making a point about Le Mans. This book was, is a bit of a time capsule because it's written in 2011 at a time when uh, uh, Lance Armstrong had not come clean about what was going on. He has subsequently. But Greg Le Mans was very critical, wasn't he? He's very critical of drugs in sport. He's been quite critical of a lot of people over the years. So what was the state of play with drugs in cycling at this stage? I mean, drugs have always been in, in cycling, so it wasn't, I, I called it a golden era at the start, it wasn't a golden era in the sense that it was completely clean. Um, it's hard to know because anti-doping barely existed at the time. There were drugs tests, sometimes guys failed, but the penalties in those days were laughable. Um, you might fail a drugs test one day and be docked 10 minutes uh, and start the next day. You know, mm-hmm. they, there were time penalties, you might be thrown off a race. There was occasional longer suspension, but anti-doping really didn't exist. And it, it didn't really exist until after the Festina scandal 12 years later. Uh, you know, the World Anti-Doping Agency came into existence after that. So we, we kind of forget 
just um, how how primitive anti-doping was in the, in those days. Mm. One thing the book does really well, <clears throat> part of the reason I, I really I love it so much is is that it articulates this idea that the French cycling fan and the French cycling public have such a love affair with the event that it becomes pretty clear throughout the book that they just don't want an American to win it. So Greg LeMond is in a situation where he really is taking on Bernard Hinault, whose nefarious doings behind the scenes he's got to deal with, but also the the, the French public at large who start calling him L'American and all this other stuff. And I mean, do you think that's still the case now? Because they've gone so long since having a French winner, do you think they see the likes of... Um, Grant Thomas and, Froome. and Chris Froome and Bradley Wiggins and things. You know, how, are the, how are the English doing this? Or, the, or in, in Thomas's case, the Welsh, mm. when we still can't do this? Do they still have that feeling? I, I, a protective gone, kind of feeling about yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's gone on so long now that it, it's a bit like Britain and Wimbledon before Andy yeah. Murray came along. Yeah. Um, I don't think the, the expectation levels are, are, are way down in terms of the French. But right? With less sense of humour, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to indulge in, in national stereotypes. But yeah. they, I mean, you know, Bradley Wiggins, they, they sort of took him to their heart. They liked Bradley Wiggins. Right. They liked his sense of style. And right. uh, he spoke very good French. Um Froome speaks very good French as well, but they haven't taken him hmm. to their hearts. They, they don't like a, a clinical... Now, Wiggins is more iconoclastic, isn't he? Sort of... Yeah, absolutely. And and they, they don't like... Um, I mean, they didn't like the way that... They, it wasn't the doping that they didn't like about Lance Armstrong. It was the, the personality, hmm. the brashness, and, right. and the way that he dominated. And, you know, Team Sky dominate now in a similar way, and they, they don't like that. And, and actually... Very few neutral fans like that. Um, you want to see a, a Tour de France that's open and competitive and dramatic. And unfortunately, Team Sky have kind of sucked some of the drama out of it yeah. in the last few years. Somebody else who's in the supporting cast, football fans will know, Bernard Tappy, who owned uh, Marseille memorably. Yeah. And uh, this was uh, he was looking to build the, uh, the profile of his chain of uh, health food shops. And, uh, and he put this racing team together. Um, and you, you quote our, our very own Tony Cascarino because Cas was at uh, Marseille and uh, Tappy and used to tell stories of booster injections yeah. they were getting in the dressing room and they didn't ask too many questions about. But Tappy's an interesting character because he's another one who that uh, Le Mans feels is against him. Even though he's the team leader, he thinks he's telling him, we want him to, Greg, we'd love you to win the tour. And he's going to uh, Eno and saying, go on, go for it. You're the Frenchman. Go <laughs> and think, get your sixth win. Yeah, <laughs> Tappy's my favourite character. Yeah. Um, maybe ever. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's just fantastic. And still around, he was at a race. Uh, he's not been at a bike race for years, but he was at one last week, actually, in the south of France, looking quite old now. But a tremendously flamboyant character with an incredible life and career. Uh, and his brief involvement in cycling did bring a lot of colour to it. And he he was torn because, on the one hand, he was loyal to Bernardino, the great Frenchman. But on the other hand, he had his eyes on the international uh, market and mm. the and what it would mean for an American to win the Tour. So he was a bit torn, I think. Uh, but I think everybody who came into Bernardino's orbit came under his spell because he was such a, a strong uh, personality. And, and Le Monde, for all his physical strength, was, you know, he had charisma as well, but... Eno had a, a special kind of yeah. you know, force of personality. Oh, that certainly comes across, and, and obviously you would have interviewed both of them for the book in, in 2011. Is, is, is Eno still that kind of character now? He's still got a fire raging inside of him, or is he mellowed in older age? I mean, he's mellowed in the sense that he you get the sense that he's very comfortable in his own skin, and, and you get there, there are no demons there. He's just he is just Bernardino, yeah. and he doesn't have to explain himself to anybody. I went to his house in, in Brittany, and 
you know, his house was quite, it's a farm, but it was quite cold and austere. And uh, whereas Le Mans' house was kind of chaotic and warm and welcoming. And those those little things as well reflected the different personalities. Eno is, surprisingly, when he retired, he, he went to work for the Tour de France. And for many years, he would appear on the podium and present the jerseys mm. and so on. And have a sort of ambassadorial role. You see him dragging um, yeah. um, protesters <laughs> off of yeah. the yeah, podium now off. again. Yeah, about yeah. three yeah. times he's had to yeah. get involved. He's actually retired from that now to spend time with his grandson. But mm. whatever Eno does, and some people looked at that role and thought it was slightly demeaning for someone of, of his stature, but he didn't bother about that. I mean, he's got pride, but he's not. It's not ego. It, it, it's a. It's a. It's a. It's a strange thing where. I've never really encountered anybody who just seems so at ease with themselves. Mm. And, and it's a kind of enviable state to be in. in a we lot we should point out, really, it's called slaying the badger. And uh, Labrero is what he's called, the badger. In It's probably worth explaining why he was called the badger. There's different kind of reasons mm. why you know was called that, isn't there? There's some there different is an interpretations. Odd, an, odd, an odd explanation that... Um, hey, badger is a is a common greeting in Brittany. I'm not I'm not sure, yeah. but some people said, said that that's what, what he badger? said at one point. Yeah, it's it, yeah, yeah, quite. Nice. I mean, he. I mean, badgers, must start using that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes ba- off. <laughs> badgers are, are are vicious creatures, apparently, yeah. especially when they're backed into a corner. Yeah. So this was, you know, this seemed to make sense, and Eno really embraced it. You know, if you in his house, the one concession to, um, you know, warmth was the furry. Badgers around the place. Did you, you witness collect- that when you went to his yeah, place? Yeah, collected a few, <laughs> few badgers <laughs> over the years. There's a lovely photo in the book actually of, of Le Monde and, and Eno embracing quite warmly mm. um, years later. I mean, is your understanding that that's a genuine affection now, and they've put that behind them and they get on okay? Again, Eno would not hold a grudge, really. Yeah. He, he, he well, what about just, Le Monde? Yeah, Le Monde more so, but I think uh, it's now so far in the past, and I, I also think that Le Monde then had an even worse relationship with Lance Armstrong and was even more bruised by that and, right. and by implication by the sport as well that you know that his battles with Eno were put in perspective a little bit because those battles really just took place on the bike really and yeah. in, and in the t- within the team, team yeah. but i think what he went through later with Lance Armstrong and what Armstrong did to him in terms of you know affecting his business uh, um that just put his you know put his his battles with with Eno into, into a fresh mm. perspective. Le Mans story in later life is a sad one. He was involved in a kind of a shooting incident, wasn't he? A hunting accident. That's right, that yeah. Really deeply affected life. He's got this lead buckshot in his body mm. that they can't, and the he, lining that, of his heart that he can't really remove and it's badly affected his life ever since. That it? happened just, just after that tour, in fact. It was the following spring. He was he was hunting He went out and came back wild again, turkey. He? Yeah, and, and you know, he did recover um, from that uh, to win the Tour de France another That's two right. times, eighty nine and nineteen ninety, but um, there was yeah lead in his in his body that they weren't able to remove lead shot, and that has it's poisoned him. And and yeah. one of the things that he cannot do is is really do a lot of exercise because that tends to make his condition worse. So it's something he's had to live with, and uh, it has cast a, a shadow over over the rest of his yeah. life. But you know he's 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 a very kind of fun loving uh, warm guy uh, to spend time around and still I think kind of the same personality as he was when he was racing well look, we deliberately haven't told you who wins that tour and uh, it's it is a fascinating story of how that tour comes about and the toing and froing between the two men and the mind games and the paranoia yeah 
Um, and uh, it's a fascinating read. So, Richard, thank you very much for coming. It's a long time ago. You wrote it, of course. So it's a kind of... Uh, we should tell people to revisit it. That's Absolutely. As I did last week. And it's yeah. important to, to state that you don't actually have to be a huge cycling fan to enjoy no, it. Because it's one of the great I'm, sporting rivalries. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a similar camp too. I'm interested in cycling. Not at all an expert in it. There's a lot to enjoy there. It really yeah. is one of the more underplayed sporting rivalries, I think. So thanks very much for coming in and yeah. talking to us about it. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. There we are. So, yeah, not long now. June the 1st, Madison Square Garden, iconic boxing venue. A big heavyweight clash between Anthony Joshua and Jarrell Miller. Jarrell was here um, sort of November time, and we talked about the prospect of a fight with uh, AJ. And, of course, it's on. Uh, good to see you again, Jarrell. Nice. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. we uh, say last time here, we, we looked at some of the prospects, some of the options are out there, and you're over in the UK just letting mm. people know you were there. And, and here we are. It's on. Yeah, man, um, you know, the gods have made it in my favor. You know, it wasn't a fight AJ really wanted at first, but uh, the network kind of wanted to push for it. Eddie kind of wanted to push for it, and then it happened. Yeah, the politics of boxing has meant that maybe this wasn't, it's kind of worked out well for you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It worked out in my favor in my my hometown, so... uh, it's, it's everything lined up, man. I'm psyched about it. I'm uh, f- fired up, ready to get to camp, man. I'm just, like, tired of doing press. I'm ready to get to camp. <laughs> yeah. you, must, you must be excited to be playing the big house, Madison Square Garden, in your yeah. own town. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. That's, that's, that's the mecca. It's, it's, it's big. Yeah. You know, it's huge. Yeah. Have you have you watched fights there before? Yeah, many yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the spot to watch fights when they can watch yeah. fights. I mean, one of my last memories I've had that I can really think of was actually watching, um, I think it was John Duddy, um... My my trainer Harry actually trained John Duddy. Right. When he was three and old to twenty something in the old, and um, I was sitting ringside next to Joe Frazier. Wow. You know, so yeah, so that was one of my one of my great moments. It was it was dope. It was cool. So we've had two press conferences and they've been quite interesting. Quite uh, the first one was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) You seem you seem to quite enjoy it. You seem to enjoy that. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure, man. (laughs) Stuff. I mean, listen, things like it gets you a little bit, but you're so used to it that I've been in this territory for a long time already. Mm. You know, AJ's still new, even though he's kind of excelling the sport because of the demographic of how London is and the the talent pool over is a lot lesser than what is in America, and and you have. The top promoters are, I think, a lot more better-wise than some of the guys in America because mm-hmm. they know how to groom fighters a little better. And they're not really biased. If you have skill and talent, they'll work with you. Where in America, some guys, if you're not Mexicans, you can't sell tickets, they kind of shelf you, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of weird, man. But I started respecting England and London and guys for that stuff over here because if they like you, they're going to work with you and push you to the top. And AJ kind of hit that wave where he has the look and it looks the part, but... Characteristic wise, he's just like a robot, you know, and he's like a Barbie doll. <laughs> so you think you think he's? I mean, people have had this criticism before, and maybe in the last couple of fights we've seen other aspects of mm-hmm. him. But you think he's he's a pretty predictable fighter? Yeah, he's very very predictable, very predictable fighter. I mean, you gotta study you study a lot of his fights. He doesn't really knock people out one punches, and it's usually because a guy gets tired. He, every fight since he's won a belt, he's been hurt or, or wobbled. Um, what else can I say? He he doesn't he doesn't do well with adversity. He has to be the top dog mentally. Unless he starts getting nervous, he gets fidgety, he starts biting his fingers. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff. And I said before, I'm a student of the game and I and I, I'm, and I believe in the art of war. So I study everything about a person. I do my homework. I ask questions. I look at videos, and I'm I'm picking up more and more as I'm walking around London and mm-hmm. hearing about him and things that he's done. That 
the 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 average Joe Smo might like him, but the average the other people that really just come from the gutter, kind of had a rough upbringing, or people that just study sport of boxing don't really like him too much. They said he's a little too made up. They said like he has a manufactured. Correct, you feel. is correct. that right? Yeah, and that's what Jarrell, I mean. Yeah. Is this is this? Having said all that though, is this your toughest fight? So of far? course, of course, yeah. this is gonna be my, well. Eh, it's gonna be because it's for the championship belt. So yeah. I'm gonna make that mentally. This is gonna be my toughest fight. I'm preparing the toughest way possible. But we're not gonna really know until after the fight, really. You know what I mean? So and I know I'm gonna win victorious, but um I've been in some kickboxing fights with only three rounds and them things were horrible. I was like, holy crap, then my legs gonna drop off. But <laughs> you know, it's a men- some mental fortitude, you know what I mean? And then once you're prepared for anything, you know, you'll be you'll be good for it. Are you gonna re- try and involve him in a brawl? We've seen him fight different ways. We saw mm-hmm. him keep Parker at arm's length. I mean yeah. and we he had saw a war him- with Klitschko, yeah, didn't he? He's prepared yeah. to trade, you know. I mean, what, do you wanna get him involved in a fight? What's your best way of winning? Uh, it's I like I said before, I've always used you know, my last couple of fights has been like guerrilla warfare, you know, toe to toe, man to man, and I've come out victorious all the time. Even in a ton of sparring sessions with guys that supposedly say they can box on the inside. So I've never gotten beat on beat up on the inside, barely even in sparring, much less in a fight. And even from a distance, I close distance very well, depending on how good the guy is with his long range and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, he told me he wants to mix it up on the inside with me, and I and I've highly super doubt that. That's music to your ears, yeah. Isn't like it? it's like hmm. what are you out of your goddamn mind? I, <laughs> I will run you over. But we'll see. You know, he talks a good game now. I think you know I kind of shut him up when he was in New York, and. And um, he, I heard he was like trying to rehearse and see what he was gonna say when he came out to yesterday's press conference, and he just came out kind of storming, and I was like, we knew you was coming with that crap. So you know, Jarrell, <laughs> Jarrell what, what I mean, what does Anthony, what does AJ do well? What's he done to get to the very top as he is at the moment? He's obviously the belt holders, yeah. four belts. What does he do well? What have you got to look out for on the night? Uh, you mean as a boxer? Like yeah, yeah. As a boxer, yeah. Um, I mean everything. You know, everything can be dangerous on a fighter. Left hand, right hooks, punches. Everything is dangerous. Hmm. You know, the thing is that uh, you gotta be prepared for everything. You know, I'm not. I'm not looking past anything that he does. But I know what I bring to the table. And my power and my speed and my size is very deceptive. And everybody says the same thing. Oh, he's too big. He's too slow. Three hundred pounds. And when they get in, it's like. Holy crap! The punches came from different angles. I, I set them up a certain kind of way. I don't. I throw a punch. It looks like something totally different from when it hits you. You know. So, mm. like I said, I know he's never fought nobody like me. He's never sparred anybody like me, and he can't find nobody to manipulate me for his training camp. So it's gonna be fun. And um, I think the, the real best of me is gonna come out in this fight. I know for, for for sure. You'll be aware, of course, that in this country there's a bit of a feeling that this is a stepping stone fight for him. He's just marking mm. time until he fights Fury yeah. or, or Wilder. How do you Correct. feel about that? I mean, what can I say, man? I've been on the dog most of my life, so I could care less what anybody else's thing, man. I mean, a lot, a lot of British fighters come to America thinking guys will be stepping stone and get waxed and sent home on the plane. You know what I mean? So it ain't nothing new to me. You know what I mean? Americon tried it. You know, and I seen Hamed tried it, and a lot of other heavy fighters came to America and, and tried it, and it didn't work out in their favor. You know, so and some guys came over here too and trying to get a shot and didn't work out either but mostly guys come to America thinking because the American guys are not as popular as they are in their country that it's going to be an easy fight and popularity mm-hmm. and fame is a dangerous thing in the sport of boxing because they feel like because you have a high you know following that they're going to make you a greater fighter which is not true well, what, I mean what do you say to the critics so I've seen some critics over this side of the, of the Atlantic who say that oh Jarrell's never been in with anyone uh, Brilliant compared to what who AJ's been in with. Are you saying that you just you're still finding your way through it and you're just taking people as they come? I mean, who's brilliant that AJ's really been in the ring with? I think that's a full of crud. You know what I mean? Tyson Tyson Fury kind of boxed Vladimir. Vladimir had a two year layoff, ring rust, had him on the floor and had him out of the fight, but he kind of just took, just took got kind of got gun shy at the end. Hmm. And he fought Joseph Parker, who I thought a lot of people thought Joseph Parker won, but there was a little more, not so much of aggression, but he couldn't really hmm. handle the speed of Joseph Parker. <clears throat> 
you know, mm. Carlos to come, kind of a journeyman, that guy that kind of started backing him up in the fight. What about Dillian? And then, Do you like Dillian? I like Dillian. I think Dillian Wines, he's a real he's a real gritty fighter. You know, he comes he comes to the bang. I don't feel like he he can do anything to really hurt me at all. I just know what I bring to the table. But uh, I like Dillian White. He speaks his mind and he goes and he he does his job and he's back on 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 an uproar right now. So I'm like I said, I always been a fan of Dillian. I mean, we are, we're fighters and we all want to punch each other in the face. And 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 he's a crazy Jamaican, so I like that. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by a Jamaican dad, so I get I get the culture and I get him. So yeah. I don't feel no disrespect by it. It's all fighters, but it's just something I don't like about fakeness and act. You know, actually being a fronter. We'll start to hear a bit about your story as we get closer to the fight. But we talked mm. about before, you know, yeah. you, know, you brought up in Belize, weren't you? Yeah, Which yeah. is a, had a, a, big, a big British connection. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. You know, I mean, Britain has their ups and downs over the years and in, in, in the past and slavery and all that crazy stuff. But Britain has reached out to a lot of, you know, Central American countries and try to, you know, help them on and do what they can do. And Belize is one of those countries, you know, and... um Despite, you know, uh, all the politics going on with Guatemala and stuff, Britain is still there, Mexico is still there trying to help, you know, those guerrilla troops from coming into the country and taking over. So, uh, yeah, we used to be British Honduras, and now we're Belize now. Mm. And um, it's amazing, man. It's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful place. But it is rugged. It's still a third-world environment. And like anywhere in the world, if you, if you don't have your, you know, eyes, eyes dotted and T's crossed, you know, anything can happen. Do you think you've gone to AJ's skin in these two press conferences? Everybody asks me that, and I, <laughs> I, and I, and I actually flipped the question on you. I said, "What do you think?" Well, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to know. I mean, he, he's been on the. You know, there's a couple of things you, you've uh, alleged and things you've said. You kind of questioned his kind of street credentials as mm. well, and he was arguing. He had to argue back a lot. You were kind mm. of making points about him, and he was saying that's not true. Mm. You know, I'm. You know, I don't do this. I don't. I think do that. you have. I think. I, I think yeah, he does. I, I, I think you know. He's, yeah. I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, we see, I think we've seen the same reaction from Asia. I've never met yeah. Asia, but we've yeah. seen the same reaction from Asia that we saw with Dillian. Mm. Dillian yeah. got under his skin a bit, and I think you've done. You've done the same. Yeah. What, what's your plan to do? Cause, I mean. This is the biggest part of your career, right? Correct. And it's the biggest venue in your career, your your hometowner. Um, I mean, it's amazing that you're getting to fight in your own stadium for, for the belts when you're the challenger. What's your, what's your plan to deal with the pressure on the night? Because there's going to be a lot of attention on you between now and then, and the night itself is going to be massive. So what's your plan to sort of block like that said, out? Yeah, I mean, I've fought in multiple different countries. Came one with 20,000 seat arenas filled up, you know, for kickboxing when I was an underdog, and I go in there perform well excel to the level of course mm. so i'm not worried about the fans you know what i mean when i'm home i'm home and I, and I feel comfortable and like i said i've been faced with certain you know things in the streets where i've dealt with it accordingly and you know what i mean and never you know up, you know never how can i say the word up, <laughs> appropriately <laughs> i can't figure it out right <laughs> at now at this time of I day pg13 right now you know yeah. but uh, <laughs> ain't no sucker gonna punk me put it like that but yeah. uh like I said before, man, it's not the moment's not going to be bigger than me. I know what I'm fighting for. I know for the last 16, 17 years of my life, this is what I've been working for. Mm -hmm. And come June 1st, I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to knock his head off. Is it true that we have a bit of an issue about you both wanting to go to Miami for your training camps at the moment? Um, well, first of all, I was the one that's been saying for it. I've been for it many, multiple times with training camp. And all of a sudden, he wants to go to Florida, and he says he's going to go to New York. That kid is a hypocrite. He, he needs to figure himself out. But if he stays in New York, that's good for him. And if he goes to Florida, well... <laughs> Why can't you both go to Miami? It's a big place. I'm sure you won't bump into it yeah. unless, you, unless you plan to. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it is, but you know, you know, people talk. I, I personally don't care. I got family in Florida and in mm. Miami, so I don't. Well, you worried that it's going to get back to him what you're working on and all that kind of stuff? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he's. I, I'm. It's a, AJ's one. He's a one trick pony. I'm not. So mm. you can see whatever you want to see. You know, I'm. I, 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 I show him a video, a day by day blog of what I'm doing. He still wouldn't be able to beat me. Are you sparring bigger, bigger guys? 
Well, bigger than me. Yeah. There's not that many, are there? <laughs> <laughs> can you only got a fan to me on the next question? Can that you find one? That, <laughs> won't, that won't be easy. There's no guys bigger than me. Yeah. That's, that's like impossible at this point. Man. And for him to find guys big as me that can move like me is, is not happening. Yeah. It is not. But uh, yeah, I find a couple guys that's got a little taller than me. Um, I want to say one name because I heard his Do guy. it. Say it. He's, I heard the kid's a badass, you know, and, uh, Daniel Dubois. You know? Oh, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. like the kid. I like him a lot. I like, I like his energy. Uh and I heard he stumped AJ a couple of times down in the gym as well too, you know. So uh, <laughs> he's a fan. Of, I'm a fan of his, you know. What I mean, and um, you know, me and his team are talking, and I like the kid, and I wish him nothing but luck. But I see, I want to see what he brings to the table and bring him to camp. You know? Okay. Well, finally, give us a, an Ali like prediction. Yeah. You say you, you, we're going to knock him out. What round? Oh, easy. Let me let me give, let me give a full promo. June first, Big Baby Miller goes against Anthony G. String Joshua in the Madison Square Garden. This boy must go down to seven and we're seven him to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Good to see you again, Gerald. Thanks, and we man. look forward to the fight. It's going, uh, to be, it's going to be fascinating. Appreciate it. Thank Great you to guys. meet you. Thanks, yes, man. Sir. June the 1st uh, at uh, the iconic Madison yeah, Square Yeah, don't Garden, miss it. Where Gerald takes on uh, our own Anthony Joshua. It's Paul Hawksby and Luke Moore here on TalkSport. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. <laughs> There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Luke, you are back with me on Friday, aren't you? Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing if I can get through clips of the week without corpsing again. Yep, okay. And, and Motti's with us on Friday. Fantastic. See you him as well. Looking, so, yeah. yeah, and on that note, looking forward to see how badly I did in the Falls panel. I can't quite remember, but that might be because I've blocked it out. Right, okay. Well, I I'll, 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 won't let you know, so okay. I don't want to ruin your week. But, I'm happy if you yeah. never let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Baker, friend of the show, comedian, uh, talkie fan, with me uh, tomorrow. Uh, until then, thanks for downloading us. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.